What's up, everyone? I'm Brian Kluger. Got a fantastic show for you today. I have a guest on this show today that I've just been so much looking forward to talking with. Oh, my God. I have an intercontinental champion of reality television and documentaries of filmmaker extraordinaire, Ben Hada. Welcome to the show. Oh, that was the best intro I've ever had since high school. It's <laughs> nice to be here, Brian. Thank you it's for not, me. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. We're going to talk about your new documentary that you were a big part of, Angle. Based on one of the best pro wrestlers and Olympic gold medalist, Kurt freaking Angle. But we've got to talk about all the other stuff you've done, including Amazing Race, The Bachelor, Who Wants to Be a Superhero, A Shot of Love with Tila Tequila, Island Life. But first, like in the sound of music, we've got to start at the very beginning. So, Ben... Where did it all begin with you in this television world? What, what was the spark? Where did it all start for you? Uh, it started out in, uh, probably that summer of college in 98. I thought I was going to go to grad school. That's what I spent my path my senior year doing while all my friends were uh, getting jobs on Wall Street. I was taking the GREs and, you know, planning to be an assistant wrestling coach. And uh, I found out I didn't want to do it anymore. I didn't want to be in school. I didn't like the, just the regimen of uh, education at that point. Uh, but I didn't know what to do. So I just went back to my uh, sort of days of what made me happy when I was younger and how could I make a career out of that? And when I was in grade school, I used to be in uh, local productions and plays. And I was the kid with the, the camera taking pictures. And my buddy, he had a video camera. We were making home movies. I was going, we had a movie theater. We lived on a college campus. It was like a dollar theater. So I was going to the movie theater like every weekend, um, seeing the same movie over and over again. Uh, so I just had this drive for entertainment, you know, something in that world. And I had no idea what to do. And so I was just like, I'm going to move out to LA and figure it out. So September after my senior year, I packed up some stuff and headed out to LA. That's amazing. Do you remember one of the first productions you did or one of the first like shot home movies you did with your friends? <laughs> yes, I do. That uh, we started out doing rap videos. So we did um, uh, Bust a Move by Young MC. And uh, we did, I think, a two live crew video, which probably uh, I'm not safe for work. Uh, <laughs> right. This was in, 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 I was a big MTV uh, goer, you know, and so we were just trying to copy and recreate what they were doing. So it was, uh, that, that's what that time was, you know. And were you using one of those cameras, like a, like an old JVC that went on your shoulder, one of those dinosaur cams with the VHS? Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. Weren't those was, amazing? It was, video camera. It, was, it was a video camera, plus it was the studio and the VCR. Like you did everything off of that one. Like you edited it on it and you rewound and found your thing and then started the new scene at that. So yeah, that was my buddy because he was... Uh, uh, his parents were uh, uh, kind enough to have a video camera. Uh, whenever we were over there, we'd just, you know, mess around and 
do, we do commercials and things like that. So, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great. Don't you miss that old technology sometimes? Like it's not as easy to 100%. edit or shoot, but it's like, they're fun to have. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I'm doing a documentary now and it's uh, takes place in the nineties. And so all this footage I'm getting is all on VHS. So I've had to wire an old VCR to my computer to digitize this footage. And it's, you know, it's going through the tracking and then you see these old commercials. And so it's definitely nostalgic of uh, that time period. That's great. That's great. And so um, after college and whatnot, how did you get involved in the reality TV industry? Like, how did you meet somebody? Was it just like, I'm just going to go to L.A. and work or and what was the first project you got onto that when in addition to that were you scared were you nervous or was it a lot of confidence right away no it was uh i wish it was that easy going out there and, and just starting right away it took me about a month or so and uh but my first job i worked at caa uh, talent agency so i was an assistant there and i did that for about a year and a half and that got uh the agent i worked for just happened to be in reality and before reality was reality it was alternative series and clip shows and cop shows and judge shows at that time. Uh, and then I went from there to ABC and I worked for two vice presidents there uh, in their alternative series and specials department. And that's right when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire started, Whose Line Is It Anyway, Politically Incorrect. Uh, we had all the award shows and stuff like that. So that was my first sort of glimpse into like the actual making of the show, just being on set, you know, hanging around, you know, the craft service table or whatever. Uh, and then, uh, my, while I was at ABC, I met an executive producer, his name's Mike Fleiss, and he was looking for a development guy. So he, uh, took me from there. We started working on just creating reality shows and he came up with the idea for the bachelor and the idea for a show called uh, high school reunion. And so I helped him develop those shows and then we pitched them and sold them. And, uh, so my very first physical, like producing, was on season two of The Bachelor. Uh, and then season, actually it was season one of High School Reunion uh, in Hawaii. Um, and uh, yeah, that was that was an adventure because one, I'd never been to Hawaii. Uh, two, I'd been on set, but I'd never had any responsibility at that point. Uh, and I went through the whole casting process of the show and the development of the show. So it, coming up with all the games and all the dates and all that kind of stuff, um, so I really felt attached and I really knew it. So I felt confident going in, but I had never done an interview before. I'd never told someone, you know, directed them before or, or a camera. Uh, so it was really a learning experience at that point. It was keeping my eyes open and my, you know, my mouth shut, my ears open uh, and, and just learning. And that was a great thing about the business. It's like an apprenticeship, you know, you, someone's going to teach you how to do their job or you're going to be an assistant to somebody else. And so that's why I, I just did that. And Ben, when you say you worked on season two of The Bachelor, you you basically laid the foundation for one of the biggest reality shows to date, like a huge following. Have you caught like any clips from shows now? And you're like, wow, we kind of founded this, you know, pattern, this formula, you know, this way of shooting uh, to get what we want to make for a compelling TV. Like, do you remember that time period? Yeah, uh, I mean, I... I went in and out. So I watched uh, obviously up until and, like the seasons that I worked on and then a few after, and then you just get onto something else. And then surprisingly it kept going. I didn't know that it would last that long. And there were probably maybe 10 years that I didn't watch it. And then it 
I started watching it again and uh, I found it interesting for, you know, two or three seasons. Uh, and then I sort of fell off and I haven't watched it, but in those two or three seasons I did watch, uh, I, they have the same format for a lot of the same dates. Like we have what we call the Cinderella date. And that's the date where the guy picks her up in some uh, fancy ride and gets her all dolled up and takes her to a castle. And there's a string band playing and it's, you know, it's this sort of fantasy of her being sort of whisked away to a Cinderella type ball, you know? And then we had the, uh, uh, sort of the Hollywood bowl date, which was like the girl's fantasy where they get they driven off again in a fancy car, go into like a dress shop where they get fitted in some crazy outfit, taken to like a music venue. It's all sort of the same sort of formats in that way, but they change venue, location. What I noticed is they started going traveling around the world. That was the big thing is that we did everything in California and then, you know, maybe in the surrounding states until we got to the hometowns, but they take off right away and start doing things in foreign countries that make it, you know, more romantic, up right. the romance. <laughs> that's great that you, you like started right over there. And that's, uh, that's amazing. And then, you know, with those types of reality shows, you've also done, you know, examinations of people like with, you know, a shot of love with Tila Tequila, or even that great poster behind you, Team Foxcatcher, which also was a, there was a film based on it with Channing Tatum and Steve Carell, which is, an insane story. Um, but uh, talk about, you know, moving from something like The Bachelor or Amazing Race to something where you're focusing on one person and, you know, the dynamic between, you know, producers and, you know, kind of like a subject like that. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's two different complete spectrums that you mentioned there. You got Tila Tequila on one side and you've got an Olympic gold medalist on, on the other. <laughs> um, but being able to do those two extremes, I think takes skill in, in itself. And, and uh, you know, telling someone's story is, you know, it, it depends one, this uh, with Foxcatcher, both the subjects were, were dead. So you're retelling a story uh, that took place and, and, and focused around these two individuals with a reality show where you're focused on one person, you're following that person in real time and sort of telling their journey as they go through whatever experience they're going through. So it's a little bit different in sort of a follow along versus sort of a retail. But I think what's common in both is that you really sort of need to know who these people are, not, you know, as characters and, but also as just people in general, because you want to tell their story and you've got to relay certain things to the audience about their personality and things so they can, you know, you've got an hour, sometimes a half hour, hour and a half to get an audience to care about this person, you know, and want the best for them or care if, you know, when they pass that, that it's actually means something to them. They felt that they knew this person. So you're figuring out when you're doing your research or hanging out or following these people, you know, what, how would you explain that person to them, to somebody else, you know, oh, they're quirky or they always do this or they're the kindest person or whenever they see you, they, you know, so how do I relate that then to the audience? You know, you've got to drop these little things that people like, oh, look at him. You know, you can say he's adventurous, you know, but how are you showing the audience that this guy really is, you know, you know, with Dave, we had shots of him jumping off like 40 foot cliffs and swinging from ropes and, you know, hanging from ceilings and things like that. So you could get this guy's personality that he was a, a playful, energetic, you know, risk taker. Um, so then when things unfold down the story, you can relate to, oh, that's why he would do it because, you know, he's 
you know, fun and, or he's always someone's pal, you know, or he's doing crazy things. And, you know, so um, I think it's really finding out who that person is and how you can relay those things to, to the audience so they can feel the way that you feel about that person, you know? Yes, yes, yes. No, that's, that's great. Um, before we jump into this whole pro wrestling world and the wrestling moment, I have to ask, was there any piece of advice or uh, that uh, Tila Tequila said to you when you were making the show that you remember? Um, this tea's too cold. No, I don't know. <laughs> She's... I, she's a different personality and she's completely morphed into something that, I mean, I don't even really know what it is because I don't stay up on it, but uh, I mean, she was a personality because she would do anything. She was wild. She was crazy. And she had this persona online with all these fans. Uh, so when dealing with her, it was, I mean, she was just like, tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. You know? So it and that's like sort of, yeah, that's gold to producers ears. Right. <laughs> 100%. I mean, and then there were those things, obviously, where she's like, oh, I don't feel comfortable doing that, or I'm not going to do that. And then you, you've either got to scrap it, or you've got to have a conversation with her and figure out what's making her uncomfortable and how you can make it comfortable. But dealing with someone like that on that side of the spectrum, you can deal with, I mean, anyone sort of on another, you know, in the middle and when you're retelling someone that might not even be alive, you know, because it, it's just a lot to handle. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. That's great. Um, so let's jump into this pro wrestling world. Uh, something that's very near and dear to me. Um, you know, you've worked on team Fox catcher and now you're working on what's been in the news quite almost every day, the WWE Vince McMahon and a lot of the wrestling superstars, uh, from that company. And now, you know, there's a, a documentary that was just purchased by WWE, right? And was that Angle? Yeah. So what happened was, is that uh, we, after we did Team Foxcatcher, a company called us, uh, called Campfire Films, and they've done a ton of films. One of their uh, most famous docs is Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Which is great. Um, and yeah, so they called us. We were super impressed with what they had done. And they had a young first-time director uh, who wanted to do Kurt Angle's documentary. And because Kurt Angle uh, was a member of Team Foxcatcher and the first, uh, when that uh, club folded, he was the first uh, Dave Schultz Wrestling Club member. Um, they wanted to do a Team Foxcatcher, Dave Schultz tie-in in Kurt Angle's film. So they reached out to us and asked if we could help them produce this film from the wrestling side. They had ties to the WWE world, but they didn't really have any ties to the amateur wrestling world. Um, so we took on the film. We helped, uh, or we, we financed it. We found all the money for it. Uh, and then we helped them produce the, the amateur wrestling side. So they needed to find Olympic wrestlers, Olympic coaches, uh, people from that uh, Kurt's world uh, who could tell his side of the story. Um, and so we found all those guys, found Nancy Schultz, uh, Dave's widow, uh, and got them all involved and found the locations where they were doing big tournaments. And we went out and filmed all that stuff. Uh, and, and then, you know, we helped throughout the edit. Um, but we, when we finished the film, uh, we were trying to sell it uh, to uh, festivals or going into festivals, but that's when COVID hit. So we had to pivot and find another sales route. And so we, uh, 
the campfire films had connections at WWE. So they laid it in their lap and they were like, this is awesome. Why didn't we do it? So we sold it to them and we went back and forth uh, in notes and got it to a locked cut and delivered it. Uh, I think at the end of last year uh, or middle of last year sometime. And, uh, and then we just never heard, you know, what they were going to do with it. Um, and then I think they had a couple regime turnovers uh, over last summer of shifting around um, of their, you know, executives. Uh, and then we found out um, maybe a month ago that it was going to be on the A&E uh, series uh, biography. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, Kurt, what Kurt had seen of our film, which he loved, and then what he had seen of what the A&E delivery for the biography series was, they were, they weren't the same film. They had made it more WWE, which makes sense because it's a WWE biography, you know, uh, on A&E. Um, but they really sort of left out a lot of the wrestling, a lot of his personal family stuff, uh, and uh, made it, you know, more top heavy pro wrestling. Before it was 50 50, 50 wrestling amateur, 50 pro wrestling. And I think it slid to like 75, 25%. Um, so they're releasing that on the 31st in their series. And then because of the deal we made with the WWE, they agreed to release our original director's cut. Uh, in the coming year on Peacock. So there's actually going to be two versions of our films where you get kind of a two for one. Um, uh, you know, so we're excited, you know, and uh, I, I think I'm looking forward to people seeing the director's cut because it's it's fabulous. No, that's, that's wonderful to hear. And it's, you know, it's great when it's something you worked on and, you know, something like the pandemic kind of delays it, but then now it's just making the news every day. Like that's super cool. And I gotta say, I gotta ask, you know, coming into this world of Team Foxcatcher in this angled documentary, you are kind of born into kind of like a dynasty of athletes and uh, people that are responsible for bringing wrestling to countries and judo. And even you yourself are an athlete, correct? I was an athlete. I mean, I guess I'll always be an athlete at heart, but yeah, I, I'm not doing the same things that I used to. <laughs> You're not doing those, those, those crunches or anything like that right now. But talk to me about uh, your grandfather, because this is an ins- amazing and inspiring story. Uh, and now you're kind of going into this Olympic world because your grandfather has received like the highest medal you can in the Olympics, right? The Olympic order, correct? Yes. Yes. My uh, grandfather uh, was from Japan. um, And in the late twenties, he came to America on an exchange, uh, a sports exchange. And he was, uh, I think a fourth degree black belt at that time. And uh, a whole team of judo practitioners came over and competed throughout the United States with different universities and military academies. Um, and usually they would compete against the wrestling team. And so the wrestlers, uh, oh, my grandfather saw was that the wrestlers were dominating and holding these guys, these judo guys in holes that they'd never seen before. Um, so we started taking notes and he went back to Japan and was like, you know, the sports, you know, got something and we should, you know, foster it. Um, but judo, uh, you know, society was like, you know, this is our sport. You know, if you want to do another sport, go for it. So he went off and created wrestling. 
uh, in Japan and started a school. And in, I think, 1932, competed in the Olympics uh, in Los Angeles as a wrestler and didn't do well, but he went back and then started, you know, fostering more. And I think uh, he, well, he got the Olympics to come to Tokyo in the six, I think 64. And he had three gold medalists at that point. Um, and then what he started doing in the late fifties, early sixties, is he started importing uh, Japanese wrestlers to go to school in uh, America and compete in college wrestling. And so that's where my uncle and my father and a bunch of other Japanese guys came and started coming over. Um, and that's how my dad got here. Um, so yeah. Which is cool. And he became an Olympic coach too, right? Yeah. So he was a national champion. He went to Oklahoma state uh, in the sixties. And at that time they were winning national titles left and right. Uh, and then he, uh, after that, he started coaching at Northwestern. Um, and then he became, uh, head of the uh, coach for the Mexican Olympic team, I think in 72. And then from 80 on, he was, uh, on the U S Olympic staff. Um, and then I think he retired in 20, I'll say 12, 2016. He went to Rio. I mean, he's been every Olympics, but his last one, he went back as sort of a team manager when it was in Tokyo in 2021 um so yeah he's been been around the world for quite some time too hot damn that's impressive and i uh i've got to say so for those of you who might know kurt angle from the pro wrestling world and wwe and um tna you know kurt started out as an amateur wrestler wrestler and he's a gold medal Olympic winner for wrestling and he wrote won it with a broken neck an actual broken neck well sorry a broken freaking neck as he loved to say you know and I've got I mean when you're doing this uh doc with him did you get a chance to speak with him about your family and talk about the whole Olympic side at all no it's funny uh because I I wasn't available I was on a shoot uh, in Hawaii when they were doing uh, Kurt's interview back in Pennsylvania. My uh, partner went out there, but he knows my dad. He knows the family. My dad was a, a you know coach with Team Foxcatcher for a mm-hmm. bit uh, right before these Olympics. So he knew that uh, I was part of the film. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was great because I didn't, I knew Kurt's story up until the WWE. Um, and I, I, you know, I knew that he was part of the WWE, but I didn't really follow it at that time. Um, but I didn't know, and I knew that he had been arrested a few times, but I didn't know anything about his addiction, you know, and that was going down that path. Once we figured out we we're going to be a part of this movie, uh, when we were deciding if we were going to be a part of it, we had to figure out what the, what the story was. Like, we're like, we just Googled his name and all these articles came up and like, whoa, this is deeper than just him winning a gold medal and then breaking his neck and going on to the or to WWE. Right. He, he's at so, a, he's at a roller coaster life <laughs> ups and downs. 100%. Yes. The roller coaster is more like one of those rides where you kind of jump off and, you know, versus the roller coaster, you, know? <laughs> right, you climb right. to the top and you, you jump off and you hope that you're going to snap back up. Um, but yeah, so it was, uh, it was great to, to tap into that world because I knew it and, you know, it's similar to this doc I'm doing. It was like going back into the nineties, same with Foxcatcher going back into the nineties for, to tell a wrestling story. Um, and, uh, like you said, he, he won the gold medal with a broken freaking neck, you know, and in our film, there's a few bites where it's like, I, I don't think anyone's done that before, 
or since. No. You know? So not at all. Not and, at all. And he, and he gets a ton of uh, uh, credit and and, and um, love from the guys in the film, like Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and uh, Ric Flair and all these guys are just like, dude, Kurt, top five wrestler of all time, like pro wrestler of all time. Like he was so athletic. He got it. He figured out his role, you know, and a lot of people couldn't do that, you know? So it was, uh, it was great to be able to tell his story. No, it is because when you think of Kurt Angle, you know, and when you ask, you know, even uh, a veteran wrestling uh, fan or even a new one, nobody says anything bad about Kurt Angle in the wrestling world. And if they are asked, what are your favorite matches? Something's going to come up Kurt Angle, whether it be Kurt Angle versus Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle versus literally anybody, Shane McMahon in that crazy match at King of the Ring. You know, it's, uh, there was something about him that just, Ooze charisma, athleticism, and charm, and comedy. And he did it together because, like, when you see him, you're just like, you laugh because he was so funny on the mic. But then, like, when he get in the wrestling ring, you're like, man, I feel like he can take out anybody in real life, you know? Because <laughs> he, he was, uh, it was funny because I think when he won the gold in 96, I remember an interview he did. And Someone asked him what he wanted to do, and he wanted to, I think, be a, an action star, you know, or be a movie star, you know, do those like Schwarzenegger kind of stuff. And I was like, no way, this guy's not an actor. This guy can't do it. He's too straight edge, you know. And then I was completely wrong, and he blew up like two years, three years later on the WWE. And I saw his personality, and his personality was—he loved it. I mean, it was great. You know, he took that. I'm greater than you. I'm an Olympic gold medalist. You know, you got to listen to me. His three eyes of intensity, integrity, and intelligence. And, you know, <laughs> he took that to another level where it was just like you had to hate him, but you loved to watch him because you knew it was going to be an awesome match, you know. And it, he worked that heel to perfection where, you know, whoever he was against, you wanted to root for, but you're like, oh my God, he's good. This guy's in for a good match because it's Kurt Angle. Yeah, so right there there that there it is and you know it's that famous story that Vince and Kurt like to tell of Kurt coming off that Olympic win gold medal win in 96 coming to the WWF and not wanting to take bumps like this is going to be hard but he did it and then Kurt was like, I'm going to go to my hometown. I'm going to be the biggest baby face, the biggest good guy in the world. Everybody's going to love me because I'm an Olympic gold medal winner. And that's when Vince said to him, no, everybody's going to hate you. And Kurt didn't believe him. And once he stepped out, it, you know, the rest is history, you know, that cliched line. But it is. He became like a great heel because he was so cocky in the three eyes. Like, you know, you got to give that to him. So I guess, you know, when doing this doc, was there anything from any of the people around him or the other pro wrestlers that talked about that uh, surprised you or that you didn't know? Um, well, I didn't know how great he was in the WWE. I knew he was in it and I know that he was an athlete, but when you'd hear like Stone Cold Steve Austin say he's hands down one of the top five that have ever stepped in the ring, you're like, wow, that's some kudos, you know? Um, but, uh, and 
there were some things that I heard that I didn't had any idea, like his off camera match with Brock Lesnar, mm-hmm. they had a wrestling match yep. uh, in the ring and uh, Jerry Briscoe and uh, Jim Ross, who were the talent coordinators at that time, had no idea what was going on. And they're up in the, the booth, you know, getting sound checks and stuff ready for, it, and they look down the ring and their two stars are literally having a full on wrestling match. Yeah. Um, but just to what people said about that match is like, you know, obviously Brock is a giant and a beast. And but the difference between an Olympic wrestler and a college wrestler is 100 percent difference. And it right. It's, it's Kurt, like Kurt, Kurt could do both. Yeah. Kurt could do both. Yeah. He was that good. And to see someone of Kurt's size. Well, that was Kurt's whole story because Kurt was a heavyweight wrestler uh in college but he was the smallest heavyweight around and he the the best stuff was that i learned about kurt was the stuff from his childhood and how he grew up and you know learning about his father's passing you know and his sister's passing and you know all the things that he had to deal with uh that obviously led to you know his his downfall but um that's a lot Plus breaking your neck and then losing, you know, your best friend uh, who got murdered by a guy who was supposed to be, you know, your benefactor and, mm-hmm. or your uh, uh, your mentor. And so, uh, yeah, to, to what I learned was, man, that guy's been through a lot and all the injuries, too, on top of that. But to come out on the other side, you know, it, it, I think it's through the sport of wrestling, amateur wrestling, that he was able to come out on the other side. He was able to tap back into his inner fight that that spirit of just get down dirty and grind it out and uh like he did for the olympics uh that got him through that that darkness you know i agree i completely agree was there any one particular moment during the making of angle uh where you kind of stepped outside of yourself and said holy shit we have something amazing here yeah i mean when it started to come together, but once, you know, we got the rock, you know, locked in for an interview, he was filming uh, jungle cruise at the time down in Florida. And he was, it was, you know, you're chasing a ghost. Yeah. Uh, but then he was like, I'll give you 20 minutes uh, in an interview. And so it was like, we'll take it, you know, and setting up and, you know, getting everything that we needed. And he's, he was a soundbite machine, you know, he's so professional and he did everything that we needed. Um, and that's when I realized, like, if we can get this guy to tweet about this film, we've got the rock in it, like, people are going to see it. You know, it's mm-hmm. got, you know, enough superpower. Uh, and then just seeing those first cuts coming together, when I realized this is a good, same thing with, with Team Foxcatcher is, I know it's a good story. You've got a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it's got some craziness that happened towards the middle. Uh but when you actually see it laid out and you see the footage come together, that's when you're like, okay, this is good. This is going to be good. And so I compare this film to Foxcatcher in a way that, you know, it's an offshoot of it because it's got a similar storyline in a sense. But I will, I think this film's more exciting because it's got action. It's got comedy. It's got, we've got a lot of recreations and, um, and, and we've got super celebrities, you know? So it's got a completely different feel. So I, I wouldn't say it's a better story, but I think it's an overall better film, you know, um, because just the, I mean, we've gotten better over the years at making these. So, uh, and we worked with a, a great production company. Um, so I'm excited for people to see it. 
No, I'm excited too. Uh, with Team Foxcatcher and this angle, has those two uh, documentaries that you've worked on influenced you or inspired you to go to live wrestling shows, no matter if it's an indie one or a big WWE WrestleMania? Well, I've been to one, uh, and I don't remember which one it was. But, so my dad is uh, friends with Jerry Briscoe because they went to college together and wrestled yeah. at Oklahoma State. And so he's actually helped him find some some pro wrestlers here and there. There's a guy that went to our high school, Nick Nemeth, who is uh, yeah. Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, oh, uh, I know Dolph Ziggler. And, I know Nick Nemeth. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Nick wrestled at our high school, and my dad introduced him to those guys. Um, and so my dad every once in a while, he'll just go to a show and like sit front row, with, you know, with, and so I had, when I was in LA, I think it was probably like 2000, uh, one of my friends who was actually one of the, it was one of the producers on this film, um, is a huge pro wrestling fan. And he was like, dude, you can get tickets to pro wrestling. And I was like, yeah, I guess, but I, I'm not a pro wrestling fan. He was like, we got to get WrestleMania. So we went to WrestleMania in Anaheim. Okay. It was great. I mean, we sat like in the wives section area because, you know, they're the free tickets. Uh, but it was awesome. I mean, I'd never been to a show like that before. And I knew and it was and that was the attitude era. So it was all blowing up like big time. It was getting big, it was getting super big. But to be in an arena like that, you know, it was uh, it was an experience. And and I've always respected it, you know, especially at that time, too, when they were really becoming athletic you know, doing those high, jumping off of the highest things and doing the flips and, you know, uh, yes, it wasn't, you know, sports. And obviously Vince uh, uh, agreed with that when he came out, you know, about sports entertainment, but it, they, they're no doubt the most athletic people out there. I mean, they're wrestler, football players, judo, whatever, uh, flipping and throwing themselves on, you know, and that's a uh, plywood floor. It's not like it's, no, they're they're or the iron, cement, yeah, know. iron steel beams with a piece of plywood and like the mat. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's not a it's not a joke. It's like yeah. those guys are really their own stuntmen, you know. Yeah. So that's why that's what I that's I think when I went to that event is when I really was like my eyes were open. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. This is big. This is it's real. Not not real storylines, but real athletes. So right, right. No, that for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah. So angle i can't wait to see it uh before we uh in this show i've got to ask um are there any particular scenes or moments in cinema that have always stuck with you um that inspire you to create um the work that you do you know are there any particular scenes that you wake up and you're like oh that scene i still remember that or that gets me and I want to something that inspires me. It's funny because I'm, I'm working on this film now and, and what I do is I go out and I, I, I seek out inspiration. So I'm doing a, a film right now on a, a wrestling rivalry, high school rivalry. Uh, and so, you know, I, I start looking at a bunch of 30 for 30 films, you know, about rivalries and dynasties and, uh, and I go out and I, I it's like, you know, researching and reading a book but instead of reading a book i'm watching a, a film and i'm looking at the shots they use i'm looking at the graphics they use uh the b-roll and how they're telling the story uh you know how they're framing their interviews and if i see something i like I, i'll literally record it and put it in a file and i'll take those inspirations from that and i'll make i'll make sure that i use those in my film like i'm 
found, uh, I like the way that we shot our interviews in angle, you know, so I'm going to try to recreate that sort of look and style and feel obviously with a different background, uh, and a different sort of, uh, overall tone, but, you know, I want it to kind of have a, a brand and a flavor that when you see angle, you see Foxcatcher, you see our, this next film that you're like, oh, okay, that's, that's one of Pata's films, you know? So, uh, I'm always looking for inspiration. Uh, but films from my youth that inspired me were always the ones that were just like in theaters, like, you know, I was E.T., Back to the Future, you know, uh, Goonies, all the 80s films. Uh, those just inspired me to want to tell stories. You know? Any particular moments in those movies that you remember? Well, Stand By Me, I, funny, I saw that the other day and that was a huge uh, movie for me. And I think it was, you know, just that, that group of four, you know, kids walking, you know, down the train tracks off on a mission somewhere. That just reminds me of my childhood. You know, me and my friends, you know, I grew up in a small college town in Ohio and, you know, we had train tracks and we had a little river that ran through our, you know, town and we'd, you know, get an inflatable raft and we'd paddle down this, you know, puddle of a stream until it, you know, it capsized or, or we'd go off into the jungle thinking, you know, we were going to find someone to go to war with or whatever. So, uh, but what it, I don't think I'm inspired to, to, to recreate that. I might be, I mean, those shots are always iconic, but it, when I see those films, it, it does inspire me to, that I know that I'm doing what I love to do, you know? Oh, beautiful, beautiful. And uh, last question, are there any documentaries besides your own that you want to tell our listeners that they need to see? I mean, if you haven't seen Jiro Dreams of Sushi, you should check that film out. That's a, a, a great uh, story about a, a inspiring little man. Um, but uh, I mean, I loved uh, Tom Brady's uh, Man in the Arena. Obviously, everyone loved uh, 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 Michael Jordan's Last Dance. Um, but the ones I've been watching now have been sort of rivalry sort of based. And there's one I really thought was cool was called the console wars. And it was, uh, I think it might be on Netflix, but it's about, uh, Sega overtaking Nintendo and Nintendo in the eighties was just the, you know, the, uh, hugest thing ever. And then Sega tried to come on in the early nineties and just make a brand. And now Nintendo is like number three and Sega is number one. Mm -hmm. um, and it just goes back into that time and seeing the, uh, those old video cartridges and the old video games and why it, it, it happened, you know, and, and not knowing it as a kid, but now you look at it as an adult, you're like, Oh, of course, that's why you know, they got taken over, you know? So, yep. Uh, so, and then the staircase, I know they have a, a feature film that's or a feature, a series that's out about it, but the documentary, the staircase, there's a it's sort of a murder mystery film. And then, uh, Evil Genius is another one yep. too. It's about this. Uh, have you seen that one? Oh, I've seen yeah. Evil Genius. I saw Staircase when it first aired back in the early 2000s and how they made that movie or that doc series where it was like one episode, he definitely did it. The next episode, he definitely didn't do it. The next episode, he definitely <laughs> yes. did it. Next episode, he definitely didn't do it. And it's just, that's great. And when you speak about rivalries and documentaries, I think one of the best and most entertaining rivalries in a documentary of two people that really never met was King of Kong of Fistful of Court. Yes, of course. And there's another one that uh, spun off of that called Chasing Ghosts, yes. which is about the same group of guys. Yes. And, that, uh, and, and then I think they're doing another follow-up to that 
because that guy Billy Mitchell, Mitchell. has been like insane yeah and he's been in in the news recently for something too he was like running for office or he was being you know i think he was being kicked out of that group like all of his records were being erased and so he was like protesting or something like that but that that group of people that dynamic uh i mean you could do a whole thing on like we were talking earlier about dungeons and dragons you know you you could do a whole documentary on that group set of people from that 80s that you know but yeah, those are two two of my favorite docs for sure. Yeah, those are amazing. Wonderful. Ben, it has been a pleasure talking with you today. I hope to have you on again on the show to talk. Uh, tell everybody where they can watch uh, Angle. Uh, Angle will be uh, airing on A&E uh, in their biography series on Sunday, July 31st at 8 p.m. Uh, and then I think roughly a year later, the uh, director's cut will come out on Peacock. Uh, and I'm sure that we'll start pumping that when uh, we find out what date that is. So tune in. Tune in. And can, are you on socials? Can people follow you or where can they see your stuff? Like IMDb page or uh, YouTube? You can check out my IMDb page. You can just Google my name, Ben Hada. But yeah, I'm very anti-social media uh, since uh, about 2010. So uh, I have a Facebook, but I'm rarely on it. and. Uh, I'm not on the the, the tweets or the, the grams. So. <laughs> what you gotta get on that Instagram and show those pictures. <laughs> I'd like to have my stuff off any clouds of any sort. So <laughs> I like to be behind the camera. I'm the guy behind the camera, not in front of the camera. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. All the best and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you. Thank you.